if I know I'm crazy audience. This is Naja Hall of I Know I'm Crazy with Naja Hall, but you already knew that because you clicked on the button. Here I go getting into these long tangents. I talk a lot when I'm super excited. And today I'm excited about today's guest. And today I'm excited about today's guest, Katie Davey. A lot of you already know her from social media. She speaks a lot of the truth. But right after this dance break, we're going to talk about co-parenting and all the things in between with expert Katie. Katie Davy is a seasoned co-parenting mama, co-parenting coach, and aspiring mediator. As someone who previously been trapped in a high-conflict relationship with her co-parent, she's been through everything the rest of us are going through right now. Toxic communication, gaslighting, reactive, rebu- reactive abuse, grief, jealousy of the new partner, taking all of the blame for all of the things, feeling like a victim, fear, and anxiety. This sounds really familiar. Katie spent a lot of years learning how to fight all of that. Now she helps people just like us losing actual years to exes and start living their lives today. No matter what nonsense your co-parent is throwing at you, Katie's got you covered. For the past two years, she's been focusing on conflict resolution between co-parents, and she's found a way to help that doesn't require your high-conflict co-parent to even be a part of the process. Co-parenting Peacefully was formed in 2021 and has been helping co-parents, biological parents, and step-parents to become the best version of themselves ever since. There's no greater joy for Katie than helping families to protect their damn peace. I added that damn in there, y'all. Katie did not say that. That's totally... I don't know if she even talks like that. Katie! Hello. Hey, girl. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am so excited to talk to you. So guys, Katie and I were the guests on another community's um, platform. I think it was maybe, I don't know, it was a while ago. And for me, when she opened her mouth, because you know what they did, they brought a stepmom representative, me, and then they brought Katie as a bio mom representative. And when she opened her mouth, I just, I felt violins and I was just like, I'm in love. Oh my God. So Katie, I'm so glad. It took a long time to get you on podcast, but I'm glad you are here. I am so happy to be here. I'm thrilled. I have 30 trillion questions for you, but the first thing that everybody likes to know that comes on here about the guest is we want to know about your experiences. Like your paint the ugly picture for us of what you have gone through. So my co-parent and I have been co-parenting for the last five years and it was so hard at first. Um, my co-parent is typically high conflict. Um, exactly what you all probably have experienced is exactly how it is. And that in turn made me high conflict, but really I think it was like reactive abuse, you know, I was, reacting. I was so overwhelmed and so upset all the time. Why couldn't he just do this? Why couldn't we just figure it out? Why, you know, the why do you have to make stuff so hard? Like just, yes. it's a yes or no, but it has to turn into a paragraph. So it was that. Yeah. So it was that. And, um, that really was difficult for me for a few years, probably three, three-ish years until finally I thought, this is bullshit. I don't want to keep doing this. I want to live a peaceful life. And that's going to start with me making changes because he's never going to change. Um, 
So here we are. And you know, the funny thing is, I always say this, I noticed such a change in my kids when I changed, when I was Mm. like, I am not putting up with this from him anymore. That's it. Then Mm. it was like the peace could be felt for the whole family, for the kids, for me. I mean. So that old adage, be the change you want to see kind of really came to life in your own circumstance. Absolutely. Yes. I always like to ask the people that have these high conflict situations because people ain't listening to, I know I'm crazy with Naja Hall because they're taking uh, Christmas card photos together. <laughs> Those are the people that come here. Mm-hmm. So everyone that you're speaking to, like you're literally preaching to the choir right now. We all understand, but I always like to ask those of us that you are in this high conflict or a reformed high conflict situation. How does the other person feel about you actually building a whole business and a community off of your bad experiences with them? I am not sure that my co-parent knows. Um, I, I, he has never said anything to me about it, but I don't, so I'm not sure we don't like share tax information. We don't pay child support to one another. So I, I don't know if he knows he may, but he's never said anything about it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So then how do you go from saying this was totally high conflict to, uh, we have res- we have formed a respectful tolerance for each other. Well, is, res- is that the right word to use? Uh, yeah, that sounds Respect. Is that too nice? Because I can't I say that from. I don't know if respect is okay. in there for me, but um, okay, okay. So I think for me, it just started with me not putting up with the shit anymore, and yeah. he really had to learn that I was not going to take it, and that was really hard too, because I feel like once you start setting boundaries, they push you harder because they're like, why is this not working anymore? Why, what now I got to amp it up. I got to get, you know, throw more at her. And it was just a matter of like being calm, being collected, being consistent. And he eventually learned. And so now we're kind of at a point where he knows what he can ask me. He knows what he can't ask me. And occasionally he'll slip back into old patterns. And I'm just like, Hey, uh, remember boundary, not doing it. Yep. Not today. So So then what about with the kids though? Because children that are in the midst of high conflict, co-parenting, counter-parenting, however you want to say it, we see that it directly, directly impacts them. Mm -hmm. So how did you see it happening with your kids? Since you weren't categorized as a high conflict when it was coming from the other end, but kids aren't stupid. They know. What did it do to the kids? So my kids are in therapy um, and they have been for a while. But I think that they really just lived kind of on edge all of the time. And they were one in three when we split. But so it was very, um, it probably manifested differently for them because they were so little, but -hmm. it was like the exchanges were literal torture. The, you know, my youngest was like on a bottle forever because he just needed that comfort going between the two houses. And so, you know, and my daughter struggles to set boundaries now. She's eight, she'll be nine. Um, and her therapist is working really hard, but I never set boundaries with him when we were married. I didn't have any, not a one. So, so this is kind of learned behavior from her and she kind of maybe is genetic and, yeah. oh, so you guys had to learn to do it together then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she sometimes will tell me like, mommy, you need to be a little bit more assertive. And I'm like, girl, aren't you eight? What Wait, hold have? on. So, so let me find her. Ask her, ask her, is she taking uh, clients right now? Because I know some people. <laughs> it's all her therapist. Her therapist has been phenomenal. And her therapist always says too, because I have worried so much about 
the conflict and the person on the other side. Um, I've done my work. I've been to therapy. I've learned all of the things and I still continue, but he is not there yet. So my, her therapist always says, you know what, she will figure out which parent is which parent through her interactions with each one of you. So I trust well, I that. to hear that. I, I, I spoke to somebody last week on the podcast and I was saying, you know, I would get so pissed off in the beginning when people would tell me, Naja, they're going to realize which parent was problematic. They're going to realize that it was not you and your husband's household. They're going to realize you do win. So that's my question for you is people tell us, and are we waiting on this freaking golden goose that might never show up? What damn age did the therapist tell you, Katie? We need well, to know. I can tell you that she already has started to learn. She said to me the other day, there, there are certain things that go on um, that I don't like and that my daughter doesn't like, my son doesn't like. And my daughter said to me, um, mommy, daddy always says he's sorry, but I don't think that he is because he never changes his behavior. And so- this therapist is like, she's eight. She's like a magician. She's, yeah. She's eight years old. And I was so floored when she said that. And her therapist is always like, listen, when she tells you things about dad, you just don't just empathize, just be there to listen, but don't really give an opinion. Just like, so I was like, oh my God, what do I say? How do I respond to this? And I said like, gosh, I'm sure that's really hard. Is he like, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry, but mm. I was floored. So you're saying you're not going in there trying to be influential or impactful in the other household, because obviously that's never going to happen anyway. You're just preparing your children to be when they're there and how to decompress when they come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because what happens, I think, and I see this a lot too with clients of mine is that they, we really want to protect our kids and we want yes. to make it easier for them. We want to, and that like trickles into making excuses for the other parent. Like it trickles into making excuses for poor behavior. It, and so then your child doesn't have the opportunity to see who their other parent is because you're always protecting them. You're shielding mm. them. And so I don't do that. I do not do that. I just provide support. I provide a safe place for her to talk and she talks. So that means you have to let go of, of like a certain aspect of control. And I imagine, I don't know if I'd be able to do that because just like, you know, you're sending your kid, not you, but I'm talking to y'all out there in the audience, but you know, you guys are sending your kid out into the lion's den and you know, this is going to be one of the things that's, that's on their childhood trauma list. You know, they're going to hear somebody talking shit about you they're not, their needs, emotional needs are not going to be met. They're going to be thrown into these loyalty binds. And I would think that, you know, it's, it would almost be easier just to not send the kid, but you can't legally do that. But how do you let go of that need to just control your kid's experience, especially when they're so young? It was really hard. It was hard for a long time, but the bottom line was I was starting to really suffer and I was starting to like, I could do nothing but worry the whole time they were gone. And I finally had to realize like, they're going to experience whatever they're going to experience, whether I sit here and worry about it or not. And can I help them when they come home? Is there a way for me to support them? Because this is happening. This They're going it, and for everyone, like you guys know how it is. They're going, you can't change. They're going to go. They're going to so, go. You know, the best thing that we can do is prepare ourselves to, to help our kids when they come home. Mm. So you mentioned that you were reactive to the abuse and sometimes being reactive does make us appear like we are also high conflict because we feel like 
dude, I'm not going to let you punk me. I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to retaliate. And then in turn, you get gaslit and you look like the crazy one. 100%. And they're so, standing there cool as a cucumber looking yeah. at you and you are losing your mind. Yes. And you're like, how is this happening? Like, this is not happened? real. <laughs> this is not real life. And mm-hmm. so what happens when you realize I'm being dragged into this and I am also looking like, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm being the drama. I'm being the high conflict person yep. too. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you have that moment of realization? Um, for me, it was like, I ran into a wall and there was Damn. a moment where I was like, oh my God, like there is, this has to change. And I just remember thinking, how long am I going to let him make me look like an idiot? How long am I going to let him control everything I'm doing, everything I'm saying, everything I'm feeling? And that was the moment that I was like, forget this. This is not okay. Um, And that, but then it's so hard to, to stop because you want to defend yourself. You want to be heard. Especially when someone's lying on you or disrespecting you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then what do you do? You just shut up. That's pretty much what I did. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's really hard and it takes practice. This is not something that you can be like, I'm just, I'm just never going to respond to him again. Because you also have to remember, we all know this, but we have to remember in the moment that like, we're still parenting kids. So we have to pick out the information that we actually have to respond to and leave the rest of it, which is difficult when you have six pages of crap about what an awful mother you are, but also like, can you pick up the kids on, you know, Friday instead of Saturday morning? Like you still got to respond to that, but you got to let go of all the other stuff. And so your response is, I'm unable to pick them up. I have a wonderful visit. Exactly. Asshole. Okay, don't yeah. say that last part. Yeah, don't call pretty much. Mm-hmm. Have a what great about when it comes? What, <laughs> have a great night. Bye. So then, what about when it comes to litigation? Because we know sometimes you just cannot avoid avoid court. And what I've found is that personality disordered people, certain undiagnosed or diagnosed mental illnesses, or you know, we can say high conflict, whatever label you've put on your person out there, guys. They're really litigious. They love court is their thing. And I found that people like that, Katie, they're really good about getting the judge to believe their altered version of the truth. Yes. So can you give us some advice when you're sitting in court, you're watching this song, bitch, lie through their damn teeth. Mm-hmm. Can you give us some advice on like, how are you supposed to refute that? You need a really great lawyer. I mean, you know, you, and that sucks, but I wasn't able to get what I wanted in court because I didn't have a great lawyer and I, he, he didn't refute anything that was said. And I'm like, right, frantically writing on pieces of paper, like, this is not true. This is not true. But like that pen, that pad, notepad was burning. (laughs) It was smoking. Oh my God. Anything you told him to say. Yeah. But, but I mean, he was expensive. He, he was really expensive and I still did not get a single thing that I wanted. Maybe you have better ideas than I do because it certainly didn't work out the way that I was hoping. I mean, I have had, I've only had one experience with a narcissist in court. Now I've been at this point, I've probably been in court hundreds of times with my clients. Mm-hmm. hundreds just for emotional support sometimes sometimes just to get in their lawyers asses um I, 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 work for, I was like, getting divorced and you know, i'm like i'm the coach for i'm the i'm the life coach blended family expert for a, a law firm right now so if you see that your law firm has somebody in there that specifically helps people in blended families that's where you want to go but 
I've literally in my own real life circumstance watching that narc. Well, I, I'm, you know, undiagnosed. And that's just me giving my opinion. So it's not fair for me to say narc. I'm going to say monster. Up there on the stand, lying. Just when I say like lying so seamlessly, it was almost like I was in awe. You almost start to believe it. I was like, damn, did that? Like, did, yeah. that, did that happen? It's like they can do it like it's a second language. It's so natural. And the judge is eating it up. And then your attorney might even be looking at you like maybe your ass is the one that's lying. Like it's. Yes. <laughs> You're like, Does your partner share kids with a loony? Are your stepkids driving you up a wall? Is your partner failing miserably at setting boundaries? Well, VIP Stepmom is where you need to be. We're an exclusive private community just for stepmoms, and we'd love for you to join our tribe. Each month, our members enjoy private conversations, podcasts, expert workshops, a subscription to Stepmom Magazine, and monthly live Zoom meetings. If you're ready to join a diverse community that is committed to making sure you live your best life, visit VIP Stepmom today. We'll save a seat for you. VIP, VIP, Stepmoms, that's you and me. But you're right, though. Having a really good lawyer, um, I, I believe this, though, Katie. I believe that we hire attorneys, people hire attorneys that are extensions of their own personalities. So if you don't really set boundaries, if you're not like a backbiting, conniving, lying, cheating, stealing bastard, you're probably going to hire the nice guy as your attorney. Because every time I've seen a narc in court, they hire an attorney that is nasty. So if you're going to court against a uh, a, a just a nasty person, you have to go find like that bottom of the barrel um, attorney out there. The, the greasy hair, the bulldog, the greasy hair, the poorly fitting suit. Um, that's who you got to get. He has a DUI. So that like, was you, that's who you got to find. That, that was see? my husband's lawyer. And People he was find so it. mean to me. <laughs> he probably, and you know what? He probably took joy in breaking you down. I bet they partner together just to try to minimize a woman's experience. And when I see that happening, it's awful and disgusting, but it, he hired an attorney that was an, an extension of his personality. He doesn't care about bending the truth a little. Who cares about lying under oath? They'll do that. Mm-hmm. You're, I feel like I need to interview your eight-year-old daughter next because she's like a little mini guru. She's, she She astounds me. And I'm always like, this didn't come from me because your mama still has like some boundary setting work to do outside <laughs> of my co-parent, you know, like with yeah. him, I got it nailed down, but yeah, there's work to do. And this girl is like, my friend dropped soil all over my backpack and she didn't help me help me. What kind of friend is she? She's not a great friend. And I'm like, yeah. so- <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you're like, you're like, you know, maybe I don't think, I, I think you're, you're right. So you're like, honey, so can you come do my taxes today? Like what else does this kid do? Can you want to come coach with me? Like really <laughs> bring she- her to the session. <laughs> so then how, because your child seems, um, especially, uh, um, smart, bright. She has a lane into empathy. She I'm sure she obviously loves her other parent because that's who you are. You're raising those kids to equally love both of you. But when she's eyes wide open now, when going over there, there's going to come a time, Katie, and I'm not asking you, I'm telling you what's going to happen because I've seen it and you already know this. There's going to come a time when she's going to want to pull back a little. Mm -hmm. What are you supposed to do as mom? What is your role 
what's your responsibility in that? When she's kind of like, I don't know if I want to go to dad's. Is that what yeah. you mean? Yeah. Um, so her, her therapist and I actually, there were, this is on our agenda to talk about this week. Yeah. Um, this is common. But I mean, here's the thing you, they still have to go right. Unless they're old enough to make that choice. And I, it, I'm sure that depends on the state, the state and the, yeah. you know, the court system. They, they definitely um, gotta go. But my, I still soft place to land empathy. Um, I know that that's how you feel. I'm sorry to hear that. It's your time with dad. Like, sorry, girl, gotta go. That is so healthy. Mm-hmm. Cause you know what? Because I've seen some, I'm um, sorry's from manipulative parents turning to allowing their children to be victimized and to feel victimized. But you didn't do that. You said, I'm sorry, that's how you feel, but you still got to go. As opposed to saying, and words are so important, as opposed to saying, honey, I'm so sorry. I know it's awful when you get there. I mean, just try to hang in there and do the best that you can. That child is going to feel victimized and unsafe. But instead you're saying, you know, you got to suck it up, buttercup. This is a part of your experience. You're very smart. You go get what you need and you come back. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all we can do. And it's not like, like the therapist. And I love that. I love her so much. Like she and you I do. About, it's not my job to protect her It's or my son from, from their, this experience. It's my job to help yeah. them live it. So mm. Mm. it's your job as a parent. Cause we, we realize, you know, I think when your kid get that, gets that first, when they're born, they're perfect. And then they get that first little boo-boo, you know, they scrape their knee and you're like, oh my God, it's, my baby is ruined. And it's like, actually, they're not. They are very much human. They're going to heal. And this is their experience. You know, we don't own, I, I saw, I don't know who said this, was it Gandhi or Confucius or maybe me when I was drinking one night, but <laughs> they were like, you know, somebody said, you know, we don't own our children. They simply come through us. We are their vessels to come and have this earthly this very short earthly experience and it's our job to facilitate them going out and being able to do their own thing Mm -hmm. and so that's I like how you did that so let's kind of get back to conflict Katie because I'm just you know um I have a couple of social media pages I think I follow you from all of them but um we talk a lot to stepmothers that are dealing with the high conflict biological mothers Mm -hmm. and they bio you know the bio moms are demonized and criticize every single thing that they do, even mistakes are like, see, I know you're high conflict. What makes a difference between a woman that can be considered a high conflict biological mother and a bitch that is just tired? <laughs> What's what so I, I really feel like the, from my own experience, I have always known that I was not really high conflict because I was still logical I still wanted the best for my kids. The things that I was fighting about, quote, or arguing about were really more directly related to my co-parent and myself. And it it didn't really bring the kids into it. Like I wasn't weaponizing the kids. I wasn't making everything hard for the kids. It really was just conflict between my co-parent and myself. And I feel like high conflict people, they want to use the kids They want to bring the kids into everything, weaponize them, make it. And, you know, so for me, when someone says their co-parent is high conflict, I'm really looking at, is this conflict stretching to the kids or is it just between the two of you? Is it just like he's telling you you're a bitch every time he emails you or is it like (laughs) he's trying to control the kids, control your time, control the, you know, 
all of yeah. them. Yeah. Cause it's like, do I not like you or am I impeding in your relationship with your children? Cause I'm a firm believer, like we can fight, you know, we can have our own thing, but when we start bringing when we start trying to interfere with our relationships with our children or our stepchildren, that's when it's nasty. I also think, mm -hmm. sorry, but I also think when you, okay. So if I'm, I mean, I am a bio mom, but let's say that I'm bio mom and I'm also trying to destroy your relationship with your new partner. That's high conflict too. Like, I guess I'm thinking just as long as the conflict is, is not impeding on anything other than your relationship with your co-parent and, and also high conflict never ends. Like if you're high conflict, it never ends. If I have a little tiff with you on a Saturday and it continues to a Tuesday, but then we're good for three months, I'm probably not high conflict. You know, that means you're you're hormonal or you're having a bad day or you're just not with the shits in that moment. You're Mm -hmm. not high conflict. But so high conflict never ends. So it's like an ongoing, there's a tone of it's always going to be war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then how does, I mean, uh, I think that when a person lives in chaos and that's the only place they know how to exist and not just with us, but you see, they have a pattern in different aspects of their lives. I would categorize them as just being a high conflict individual. And of course, they're going to be a high conflict co-parent. I have some pe- seen some people, though, have pretty, pretty solid appearing on the surface, from what I know, relationships. The co-workers love them. The kids seem to love them. They have a good set of friends that they've been cool with for a long time. But it's just that one co-parent, that one individual. It's just you that I'm going to make it hell every time. It's going to be fire every time we speak. Um I don't know. I, w- I would call them a high conflict individual, but I would say that sounds like that's something that can be worked out. There's a level of forgiveness that can happen or they're still needing something. I was talking to a client yesterday and let me find my phone. I had to write this quote down because when I tell you it was mind equals blown, let me find it. So I was talking to her and she was like, you know, Naja, my child's biological mother, my, my stepchild's biological mother she and I can have conversations like we'll block each other and then we'll become friends again at a pickup and drop off. She's like, we've hugged. We've gone out drinking together. I was like, Dude, you guys are sounding like you're kind of friends. And she said, you know, the, the bio mom told her, she was like, I, my issue is not with you. I don't think he's the best father, but he's present. And she was like, I still have unresolved feelings for him. I don't think it's love, but I hate that about myself. And I said, God damn, she said, I still have unresolved feelings for him. And I hate that about myself. And so what I realized that was like a light bulb moment for me. She was and for, for, for that. For me, that means I can't rectify this thing that's happening in my own head and heart. I feel disappointed. I feel humiliated that we had to divorce, you know, I'll, whatever the reasons. And I wish I didn't feel this way. So every time I talk to you, I'm going to talk, I'm going to take out the anger that I feel this self-inflicted anger, I got to take it. I got to make you feel bad too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I've think, been there. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that though? What are you supposed to do with that? 
I therapy for me, but also recognizing that I have to separate my feelings for my co-parent. And I no longer feel this way, but, but I did have that resentment and that, like, why wasn't I enough? Why, why mm. can't we make this work? Why is the new girl better? Why can you have such a great relationship with her? But I really had to separate that and like, take that as my own, because that's not hers to carry. And that's not his to carry that's mine. And that's a really hard distinction to make, I think. So you didn't make your problem, your pain, someone else's because you had to, it's different when you're divorcing with kids. Cause that's like the divorce is the death of a family. You know, that's your hopes and dreams. And you've poured everything. You think this is going to be the person that you're with until one of you takes your last breath. And then boom, this spontaneous combustion happens and you are a single girl again. Mm -hmm. You probably feel like a statistic. Oh, I'm a single mom. You know, I know what the numbers look like. Have I failed my kids? Mm -hmm. I'm embarrassed. And then you got to deal with a damn heartbreak. You still have to. And I would not wish that feeling on my worst. Well, I probably would, but I would, (laughs) you know, I'm not, uh, that's a feeling that's like physical sickness, Mm -hmm. but you still have to get up and smile for the kids. And you yeah. have to see this bastard over there living their new situation. And that is, I feel like I give a, a y'all are going to be so mad at me for saying this, but what up will y'all stay mad in those comments? I feel like I give a bio mom like a, a cooling off period to just act as much of an ass if you want to. I, I, I do like say the things, do the things, don't get yourself locked up. Don't get no restraining orders. But I do, I give her permission, not that she would need my permission, but when you're going through that, I I say you have, you get, you get like a quarter, you get a few months to be like, listen, uh, the shit is going to be fire. And then you got to figure that stuff out. Yeah. You got to get it all wrapped up eventually. And that's, you know, it took me a long time to do that. It took me three, three years probably to really let go of the feeling that like, that I was not enough. But, but again, that was more about me than it was about him or any of the other women that he dated. But that person made you feel like you were not enough. If it were not for them, you would not have had that feeling though. So I don't understand. True. But I think that it's a matter of knowing yourself well enough to know that you are enough. And that comes from self-confidence and that comes from self-worth. And that comes from, you know, I look at the marriage and I think to myself, we really were not well matched to begin with. And also I didn't set any boundaries. So of course he walked all over me, of course, like, you know, and that led to a lot of the feelings of worthlessness that I had and all of these things. So I think one thing that bio moms sometimes don't do, don't hate me, is that they don't look at the role that they played in the marriage and they don't look at like, here's maybe he did X, Y, and Z, but I also played a part, whether that was 5% or 95%. So that's a hard thing to do too. You help clients, you deal with individuals, couples, um, and entire families. And so I know you've probably seen the gamut of experiences and stuff. When do you know that there's a circumstance that is just I hate to say that it's hopeless because we're humans and we want to have hope, but let's just be real. There's some stuff out there and you're just like, honey, you ain't ever going to be able to co-parent with this person 
or you yourself are so far gone. So I don't, and I know you can't tell us about any specific client because we all sign confidentiality agreements, but can you speak to some experiences when you were like, this is just, this ain't, this ain't going to work. Uh, I have had a few, um, you know, dealing with like alienation and they come to me and they're like, I need help. And I'm, there's nothing I can do because this person has so far alienated them from their kids that like, (sighs) there's just no way. And that breaks my heart because a lot of the people who come to me and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm really sorry, but I can't. And I usually know within like the first, you know how it is. You have, you have a little chit chat discovery call, meet and greet, whatever you call it. And you're like, Ooh, I don't, you know, and, and that breaks my heart because alienation is an awful thing. Um, but also sometimes I get on a call and, you know, you can tell when someone's high conflict, when they're, when they're the high conflict one, I don't know if you've experienced (laughs) that before. Yeah. I'm like, you are paying money, but you are the problem. Okay, girl. Uh Okay. Okay, sir. Come on. Exactly. (laughs) So, and, but then I think there are some circumstances where maybe someone won't stand up for themselves. They won't like do the hard thing that they have to do in order to make the crazy stop. Yeah. And so there are moments where I'm like, oh, dang, I don't, I, I don't know if they're going to do this. I don't know if you're they're going to such a, you're like, I'm going to give you all the tools, but you ain't going to pick them up and start putting a hammer to the nail. Like you're not going to do it. work. So then when there's a person that has a situation and they're telling you that they've practically been erased from their child's life, mm-hmm. and more than likely, they're probably coming to you for tips on how to reunify with that kid. And you see very quickly, honey, this ain't going to happen. This is God. This is a God moment. This ain't anything that I or you have the power to do. It's, are you, I mean, you're still able to help that individual to come to a place of acceptance though, right? That is exactly it. That's what we would work on. We would not work on trying to like Houdini the ex into getting you to get back with your children. We're going to work on you and accepting and managing expectations for this and, Mm, you know, grieving. Yeah. Like, and that's hard. It is so painful for people. It's hard for them to like accept it. What goes to the mind of the alienator though? You know, in the, what, why would you, a very live uh, and and able-bodied parent, you hate them so much and you you're convincing this kid. Like I've read so many studies, obviously, but what the hell goes through the mind of a person that's like, oh, I don't want you to talk to your kid. I wish and I knew. Teach your kid. I mean, I wish I, I, wish I knew. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you, maybe we could like interview one, but they would never admit it. They would say <laughs> that they feel like it's in their child's best interest. And I think they, they're delusional or they disassociate from reality. And they really convince themselves that, well, that person's really not a good parent and I'm protecting my kid. I've seen a lot of them do that under the guise of protection. And I think too, then once they've gotten the kids under that idea, then the kids are behaving in such a way that they're like, see, I knew it. I knew they didn't want to be with their other parent. And it's just reinforcing the whole cycle. You gotta be one sick puppy to do that, to, to take children. Cause I mean, how many broken homes are there? And I'm not saying cause you're divorced or kids are broken, but how many people out there that are do not have a parent they have a disinterested parent so if your kid has a parent that actually wants to be there I mean that's a blessing and you're taking that away that's like ah. okay so as a as a mom 
do you prefer the wait? Do you prefer bio mom or mom? Like, do you okay, have a preference? So, <laughs> Let's talk about that because I see I some people in- say, "Honey, I'm not a bio mom." I yeah. So I got into trouble on my Instagram about this a couple of weeks ago because I do my bio mom truths and there were like uh four or five of them and everyone was like, I'm not a bio mom. I'm the mom. It's so disrespectful that you would call it a bio mom. And I totally get it. But but for me, the distinction is like um, maybe there are are maybe like I have some clients who their stepkids call them mom. So I was trying to like make a distinction. It doesn't bother me because I am the bio mom and it doesn't bother me if someone calls me that, but clearly it bothers other people. <laughs> Damn. I'm like, girl, you don't have to, we know that baby came out of you. We know like, girl, you, like, oh my God. I don't know. That's why when I see, um, like, I really appreciate like I, I trans movement and, you know, I've seen some cisgender women be like, don't call me cisgender. I'm just a woman. And I'm like, listen, Whatever you were born as, just sit with that and be comfortable with that. And what someone else needs to identify themselves as for whatever reason, that ain't got nothing to do with me. So I like the fact that you take that stance. You're like, well, I know what I am. And I'm doing this as a professional distinction because you do need to specify the stepmom, the bio mom, the adopted mother, the grandmother, the foster mother. Like we do use these for distinctions. Yes. Which was my only point. Yeah. People like to fight on the internet, though, Katie. Oh, That's what I just I just started um, a freaking TikTok, and those girls are probably as we speak under my post. Those girls are literally, if they could fist fight each other right now, they would be girls I and guys. Follow you? It's it's crazy. I don't even until I take my Zoloft, I don't even look at the comments because I'm like, honey, I ain't y'all are about to bring my day down. Okay, uh-huh. I'm having a great day. <laughs> so let's talk about the introduction of a new partner. That's always a very sticky thing. After the couple uncouples, inevitably, somebody's going to get a new person. Mm -hmm. And that new person is maybe going to have an impact in your kids' lives. Yeah. I want you to speak to people that are hurting right now. Like, you know, just if you could channel yourself as you were still going through the hurt and disappointment and then your ex, your, your children's other parent they're starting this whole new deal. Mm-hmm. If you could channel that for me and speak to that, what is best practice? What do you do when your heart is still kind of broken and you're pissed off and you're angry and you're crying in your pillow and you got to hit come back and your kids are saying, Hey, mommy, I met Miss Sheila. She, she says she has triple D boobs. <laughs> like I have been there. I remember my co-parents first girlfriend, my daughter came home and she was like three, maybe it was shortly after we separated. Oh, she was a baby. Yeah. She's and little. she said, uh, mommy today, daddy and the girlfriend made pancakes and they were kissing in the kitchen. And my heart, <laughs> I can't even tell you, I was destroyed. Like there was no part of me that was okay after that, but she was so excited. And I mean, so I said, oh my gosh, that must've been so fun. Were the pancakes good? Meanwhile, (laughs) I am like, you're literally going to go in a room bathroom and cry. (laughs) My voice was like wavering because I was on the edge of tears and she just chattered on about these stupid freaking pancakes. And I was like, oh my God. And that's what I did. And then I shot myself in the bathroom for like 15 minutes and cried, but yeah. 
what else can you do? I, I didn't want to make my kids feel bad for liking this new woman because they're kids. Why should they, you know, why should they feel like they are not allowed to like someone else just because it's not me, but that's a very hard thing to, to do too. And I have always been very careful about what I say about girlfriends, just because, you know, you just have to be, You, you don't want that to impact them and how and their experience over there because it it could stand to be quite uncomfortable with yeah. your kid have you ever had to intervene when a, a new person kind of overstepped or you know did something that made you uncomfortable like you knew that it didn't feel right to you no but only because most of the girlfriends didn't stick around long um were smart yeah no they shade were smart. and my <laughs> my ex's girlfriend now is fantastic. We get along great. And she and I had a discussion about boundaries. We had a discussion about like who was going to be, you know, that I was still the mom and that if I ever stepped on her toes or she ever stepped on mine, we were going to let each other know. Yeah. Um, that sounds really healthy. Yeah. We went to coffee and we just like hashed some shit out and that's what we Wait, You went to coffee. Oh yeah. You went to coffee. But I love her. So wait a minute, Katie. So you guys went to coffee, but you're like, I ain't, I wouldn't share a damn glass of whatever with the dad, but oh yeah, this person. So how does he allow that to happen? Knowing that you and him don't see eye to eye. Did she push for that? Um, I don't honestly know how it is. She did ask me to go to coffee and I said, well, is it okay with my co-parent? And she said, yeah. And then I did double check with him just to make sure, because we, we had finally gotten to a place, my co-parent and I, that I did not want to mess up the, you know, the well-oiled machine that we have happening now. Yes. Um, And so, so that was very respectful that you're just like, Hey, you know, that was respectful. Okay. Yeah. I try. I mean, I don't know. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. You go ahead. And so that's what we did. We spent maybe a half hour, hour at coffee and we just chatted. She's phenomenal. I love her so much, but I, I respect her more than I do my co-parent, which probably sounds bad, but it's the truth. Um, She has treated you like a human though. And you haven't, you don't have like the bad references from the past that you don't, you haven't had to get over anything. So it's really difficult. Mm -hmm. Would you have been so like, let's just say when that divorce first started happening and what I'm finding is a lot of people move on during the midst of their divorce or even before they file that paperwork, like the marriage is dead for somebody, maybe not both parties before that judge long before the judge bangs a gavel. What if it had been an instance where you guys are still going through this divorce process and then you find out that he's like literally in love? Mm-hmm. Would you, you probably wouldn't have been able to go to coffee then. Oh, there's no way. Uh-uh. I could barely look at any, and I don't mean to make it sound like there were like a ton, but there were quite a few women. I could not look at any of them, even like I would go drop the kids off and they'd be standing at the door and I'd say, Hey, and that would be it. I would be like in and out fast as I could because I couldn't stand to you even said hey mm-hmm. that's crazy like you know you guys out here you all have heard all of these stories from me and the fact that Katie is thinking like she was going through pain and she was like at least able to say hey that baffles the shit out of me like that you said hey that's big that's correct how desperate am I to be so impressed by you just throwing up your hand and saying hey that mm-hmm. is that's amazing though. Just you treated no matter what, no matter how dehumanized and small and unseen 
you must have felt there was something about you that was still able to humanize at a bare minimum other people. That kind of speak that speaks to your character though. Oh, thank you. I think I've always known though that it was about me and my co-parent. And it's never about the women. No matter what someone tells me when I listen to them, tell me I hate her. I it's it's never about her. It's like, girl, you don't even know her. You literally don't even know her middle name. Like you don't know about her childhood. You don't know. You hate what she represents. You yeah. hate how she makes you feel. You hate that your ex-partner and is in love with her. And then your kids are going to fall for her too. It's like, she's stolen something from you. So yeah. Yes. yes. It's like, you don't hate her at all. Cause it's like, bitch, you don't even know me. Like you don't like, mm-hmm. cause you know, I feel like a lot, a lot of times to know one is to love one. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. How do you prepare? You have a little girl and it's, you have a boy. How, how do you prepare the kids for the just stark difference in parenting styles and the tone of the households? Like I said before, I just love them through it. Like they know yeah. that, you know, I asked my daughter a couple of days ago what her least favorite part about the different houses was. And she said, the rules are different. And then my son said, and he's six. So, you know, he's, he's wild, but he was like, yeah, the rules <laughs> suck at each place. And I'm like, he's oh. just, <laughs> so, and so that is difficult because it's hard to try to teach them, especially because my co-parent and I have very different parenting styles. It's hard mm-hmm. to teach them what's going to happen at one home, what's going to happen at the other, what to there's no consistency there, across households there. Um, you know, so just reminding them that this is what happens at mom's house. And this is what we're doing here. And I'm glad that that's what happens at dad's house. And that's great that it works there, but it doesn't work here. Um, you know, that just those yeah. kinds of, and I never demonize what he does at his house. I never have much to say about it because it's not my house and he's allowed to do whatever he wants over there. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what, yeah. what else can you do? Okay. Let's talk about kids um, living across two homes. Um, what is best practice? Because, you know, I hear a lot of people argue over socks. You didn't return the sock. You you didn't return the freaking sock, Katie. And it, it, and it becomes like a whole big thing. So what if you, if you are in this high conflict situation, I want to speak to these high conflict people. What are they supposed to do when it comes to stuff, toys, not devices, because that's going to be my next question, but clothes, belongings, you know, things like that pick your battles, pick your battles. If you are in a high conflict relationship and everything is hard, everything, pick your battles, like send the kids in some different clothes that you don't care if they get taken because you know, people do that. People do do that. They'll give you the crappy clothes back and keep the good ones. I mean, same with, they didn't buy. Yeah. And then you're spending hundreds of dollars a month and they're like, here, you can have the crappy two sizes, two small stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like what? Okay, let's talk about devices now. Like devices used as surveillance, devices used to keep these invisible handcuffs on the kid, devices used to just you know. I've seen stepchildren not be present, and this has happened to us in our home because you know, oh my god, let me check, let me call. There's five calls a day, constant text messages, sending photos. Like, oh, I, I miss you so much. It makes it very difficult for mm-hmm. the child to be present. Yeah. What's the good rule with devices, though? When you're dealing with this high conflict stuff. I think it so much depends on the household. Um, For us, we don't exchange devices between houses. So the device that you have at mom's house stays at mom's house. The device that you have at dad's house. So then how do you contact when the kid is in their other home? Well, this is the thing. We really don't. 
Okay. Like we, we really do not have any contact when, like when my kids are there for five days, if they want to call me, they'll ask their dad to FaceTime. And if they don't, that's okay. Okay. Got it. For us, it's a lot different. Cause I know there are some people who are like, we, we say hello in the morning and we say good night at night. And, but for us, it created so much conflict and so much crazy that we were like, mm-hmm. that's it. No more. Yeah. Yeah. So I have one last question and this is a post on your page that I really love. So guys, please go follow Katie on co-parenting peacefully. And it's a post that you made, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, but I started because I was like, I got to ask her about this. Um, introducing, and we've kind of talked about this, you said questions to ask yourself before you introduce your kids to your new partner. And one of the most important things, I think as a responsible parent, you kind of want to make sure that this person is going to be around because you don't want your kids to see you having a revolving door and be like, man, daddy was kind of a hoe. So, (laughs) you know, your mama was kind of loose. You don't want that. But what are some of the other things that we should consider before we introduce this person, our our kids to our new person. So many things. I mean, are you ready? Like, are you actually ready to integrate this person into your life in the way that, that they're going to have an impact on your kids? Like I I've been single five years and I have never introduced a man to my kids. Um, not yet. I, I haven't felt like, wait, Wait a minute. Hold on. No, I just what? started. Okay. Wait, I just started seeing someone like, uh, maybe February ish, but it's still we're it's only April. Okay. That's new. That's so, new. you know, and, but this is the first like actual relationship that I've been in because it took me so long to heal. Um, so my kids haven't, and I've done the freaking work. Okay. So I'm women ready to do that though. But, you know what women, we literally will be like, I'm going to cry this out. I'm going to give myself a gap year. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to gain some weight. I'm going to cut my hair. I'm going to go to Pali or Africa. Like I did, or, you know, like we do, I'm going to get all the therapy men. They're like, let me just find some bimbo out there to help me heal. Which is what I think my husband did with me. I think I might've been a rebound. Wow. Wow. We here now. Well, here you are. I mean, (laughs) here we are, whatever. So, but you five years. And so your kids have been, uh, they've been acclimated over there to be like, okay, dad has moved on. Are they going to have a Mac attack when they see you with somebody though? Cause it sounds like they're used to having you to themselves. They are. Um, and this is, you know, my daughter knows about this person and so does my son. They, you know, they've heard me mention him here and there, but, but I am like, so just dip your toes in the water first before you like go all in because you, yeah. especially for my kids, because on the other side, there have been a lot of people, I want to make sure that this person is going to be around for a while before I introduce them. And I want to make sure that like our parenting styles are somewhat similar. I want to make sure that, you know, he's going to treat my kids well. And I mean, I, I think that he would, but there are just so many things to consider. And also like, do your schedules work, which I think people don't think about because eventually, you know, maybe six months down the line, they're like, Oh, the opposite weekends are killing me. And, but then they've already introduced the kids and they've been, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So something else you said on that post that was so important is, are my kids in the right emotional space for me to introduce someone new? Let's mm-hmm. just say that you're happy. You've been in this relationship. You're like, I think this, I think I want to take this further. But then you know there's words that are happening on the other end from your co-parent to the kids. You know, do you let, do you, is that something that you should allow to stop you from introducing the kids, even if you know their parent, that other parent is going to be like, see, I told you, 
told you mama was already dating him before we got divorced. I told you she's not going to love you. It's just whatever the words are. No, I don't think that what your co-parent has to say about your current relationship should influence anything that you do at all. Yeah. Unless it's in your court order, which, you know, maybe it is, but. How do you no. feel about that? When like people put that, that um, clause in the court order, is it a means to exact control? Or does that mean you think your co-parent is just super irresponsible and you want to protect? And I'm doing air quotes for those of you that aren't watching us right now. Is it a means to protect the kids or is it like a real necessity? I think it depends on the person. My lawyer said, absolutely not. We are not putting anything in there about when you can introduce a significant control because yeah. it'll control you with it. Yeah. And, but there are some people who I've seen it work for, like, it doesn't seem to be a means of control for these people, but I, it doesn't seem they to They mutually I, came to this. Maybe they mutually came to the decision. Like, we'll just wait six months or until you approve. And like, approve. why is six months the magic number? What? Why is that the... I don't know. Because <laughs> you surely don't know a person in six months. I'm sorry. Like, maybe we'll need to do a whole episode on that. But you, I mean... You you don't really know know a person. I'm Not 25, a- okay, plus a little older, um, years old, and I barely know my damn self some days. So it takes longer than six months. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Katie, this has been such an amazing sit down. I think you're probably gonna have to come back because we're gonna have to do a whole episode for the biological mothers, the fathers that are high conflict, because you know you high conflict baby daddies are out there. We're gonna have to talk to the stepmom. So yeah, I need you to at least for four or five more episodes. You down for that? Oh man, I am. I'm here. <laughs> Tell everybody where they can find you. So my main um, mode is Instagram. That's where you can find me all the time, but also at coparentingpeacefully.com. Yes. So everybody, please go look for Katie at coparentingpeacefully.com and all of her links Everything is going to be shared below. And when you go and find her, you make sure you tell her that Naja sent you. You heard her on I Know I'm Crazy with Naja Hall. You heard her over here at VIP Stepmom. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you all next time. Or if you are listening and or watching, then we'll link very soon. Appreciate you. Love you. And we are signing out. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy.